Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here in hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this, is my, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Things are uh, not always what they seem, are they? Take this picture, for example. At first glance, it looks like the young child being held as has an adult's head. He doesn't. It's just his dad has a, quite a big nose. You see that uh, there? The... Well, what about this one? Is it a dog with two heads? No, things aren't always what they seem. This is two dogs. One of the dogs is positioned just between his owner's legs. Or you may have seen the latest illusion on the web. We had the sort of blue dress and the purple dress a few months ago. We've now got are these oily legs. Do you see oily legs or are they legs with a bit of cream or paint just on them? And then what you see, things are not always what they seem. They're actually dry legs just with paint on them made to look oily. Well, if you've ever read any of the parables or the short stories that Jesus told, you'll know that with them, very often, nothing 
is as it seems at first. And that's certainly the case with the story we're looking at this morning, so do grab a Bible if you haven't already got, got one, and uh, turn back to page 874 and 875. And as you do that, I'm going to pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we do ask for your help this morning. Help us to see the real picture in this story that your son Jesus told during his time on earth. We pray that in his name. Amen. Well, the parable of the prodigal son is one of the uh, more well-known stories that Jesus told. And if I were to ask what we thought it was about, I think we would come up with uh, a few common uh, responses. Maybe we might think back if we, were, uh, uh, if we grew up in a church and we, we'd think back to Sunday school uh, lessons and remember that those who have uh, done very bad things can find a way back to God. Or if we're a little older and we have children who have turned from God, we may be comforted by the hope that our children will one day come to their senses in a, in a similar way to the man in this story. But if that's as far as we go with this parable, then we miss out on so much. And this morning, I want to encourage us to look again at the story and realize that things are not always what they seem. And not least because actually, this story is not primarily about the prodigal son. Look at verse 11. And he, that's Jesus, so Jesus is telling the story. Jesus said, there was a man... There was a man who had two sons. According to Jesus, right from the off, this is a story about a father. A father who has two sons, not just the prodigal. And Jesus wants us to see how this father responds to both of these sons because he wants us to see the spiritual truth that this is how God the Father responds to us. Let me just remind you of where we've got to and uh, what is going on here, just in case you've been away over half-term or you've missed some of the the, the previous uh, talks that we've done in this chapter, or in this part of Luke's Gospel. Great uh, great crowds have been following uh, Jesus, and at the end, if you look back to the end of chapter uh, 14, uh, Jesus throws out this challenge, verse 35. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now forget the chapter and verse divisions for a moment. Very next verse, who are the ones to respond to that challenge to hear, to listen? The tax collectors and the sinners, they're the ones that are drawing near to hear Jesus. And, though, and through tax collectors and, uh, and, and sinners, Luke is using a phrase to describe those who were obviously immoral, or those who had jobs that the, that the, the religious leaders thought were incompatible with God's law. The point being that it is these obviously bad people who are the ones that are being attracted to Jesus. What about the ones who are not so obviously bad, the self-righteous religious leaders? Well, if you look at verse 2 of chapter 15, it says they grumbled. They were grumbling, saying that this man receives sinners, he eats with them. And it's in reaction to that grumbling that Jesus tells three stories. Last week we had the lost uh, sheep and the lost coin, much rejoicing when they were found. This week a father loses a son, and again, much celebration when he is found but also some grumbling. I wonder, can you see who Jesus has in mind as he begins to tell this story, who he has in mind for each part of this story? 
So I've got some headings for us, and I'm actually going to suggest a different title as well this morning. Instead of the parable of the prodigal son, let's go with the parable of the forgiving father and his two sons. The parable of the forgiving father and his two sons. One obviously sinful and one obviously self-righteous. And we're going to deal with each character uh, in, in, in turn. And having proposed that the parable was really about the father, I'm going to deal with him last, actually, because it's important that we see what these two sons get up to and how the father responds to him. Okay, so my first heading then, the sinful younger son who recognizes his need for repentance. Look at verse 12. The younger of them, that's the younger of the, of the, of the sons, said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, this part of the story is relatively straightforward. The youngest son has just one thing on his mind, wild or or reckless living. He wants to please himself. He wants to be free from work. He wants to be free from family responsibility and and, and ties. And so he turns his back on his father. This, says Jesus, is what a sinner is. A sinner is someone who turns their back on their heavenly father. Someone whose heart latches on to other things, attractive things. Let's be honest, sin is attractive It promises so much pleasure, freedom, do what you want when you want to do it, free from accountability, no one looking over your shoulder. Imagine I were to go to my dad now, he's he's still alive, and I were to say to him, Dad, I've no idea how much money you've got in the bank, but when you die, half of it's coming to me anyway, because I've got one sister. Let's just cut to that point now. Give it to me now. I want it all now. What am I saying to my dad? I'm effectively saying, Dad, I don't want you. I don't need you. What you've got in the bank is is worth more to me than you are. Think of all the things I could do with that money now. You're as good as dead to me, Dad. This is what a sinner is. Someone who turns their back on God and behaves as if God doesn't exist. Someone who chooses to live life with the, the common grace benefits that have been given to him whilst at the same time deliberately ignoring the giver of those gifts, those benefits. Someone who thinks maybe that they know best. But they don't, because as Jesus explains, sin has consequences. Look at verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. In short, what does he do? He blows it all. He, he loses everything. Money is finite. It will run out. Likewise, sin is, is temporary. The buzz, the pleasure, the satisfaction, yeah, it's good, but it doesn't last. And admittedly, not everything in this story is his own fault. But his selfishness, his, his immaturity, his ill-disciplined life mean that the younger son has no way of dealing with this external tragedy when it happens. And so he finds himself, doesn't he, at rock bottom. 
There is nowhere lower that this man could sink. He is doing one of the most dishonorable jobs that it is possible for a Jew to do. He's feeding pigs. And Jesus is painting a a temporary picture here of an eternal reality. Poverty. Loneliness. Suffering. A longing to be properly nourished. These will be the eternal consequences of sin. But Jesus also uses this character, the younger son, to show how we can be rescued from those eternal consequences. Verse 17. When he, came, he, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, and I'll go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. So the reality of the situation begins to to sink in. And he puts together a plan to go home and ask for forgiveness. It is a picture now of complete reversal. He knows that he is unworthy now. He knows that he has no claim to anything. He knows that he has no rights and he simply comes in humility, placing himself at the mercy of his father. Well, he never gets to complete his little speech that he's practiced because dad sees him coming. The inference is he's actually waiting, hoping for his return and he hugs him and he, and he kisses him and he gives him gifts and he sends him off to, to a party to, to end all parties. Things are not always what they seem. Sinners, deserving of punishment, receiving grace and mercy if they turn back to God. That's what repentance means, a turning back towards God. This is what it takes for a sinner to be truly rescued from sin. No excuses, no claims, just confession and a humble reliance on God's mercy and his provision. So that's the sinful younger son who recognized his need for repentance. The case of the elder son is a bit more complex and actually a little bit more interesting as well. It's to our loss that we rarely take a look at him. So let's do that now. The self-righteous elder son who hates repentance. He hates repentance. For the first half of this story, this elder son, he's, he's been in the shadows. Uh, we know he's there from the start, but we're so swept up in this amazing grace that's on, offered, uh, on offer, we, we don't really give him a thought. So scene change, verse 25. We, sw- we switch from some partying and celebrating in the house to the fields where the noise of that celebration has carried. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants, and he asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. So far, so neutral. Verse 28. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. And that anger then expresses itself in bitterness. It expresses itself in in envy in the way that he speaks to his dad. He says to him in verse 29, look, these many years I've served you, literally I've, I've slaved for you, it says there, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours Notice what he says then, your son. 
who devoured your property with prostitutes, a reference to his reckless living, you killed the fattened calf for him. It's ugly, isn't it? It's an ugly scene. And those of us who have been Christians for some time and have experienced God's grace in our lives can, can look at this parable and straight away we have sympathy with the young son and we can be disgusted with the older son. But again, Luke likes to say, things are not always what they seem. And the original hearers of Jesus' parable would sooner have sided with the elder sibling than they would have done with the younger sinful son. After all, he's right to tell his dad he's not fair, isn't it? It wasn't fair. Think about it. Apparently, here was the son who always did what was right. He was obedient. He stayed at home. He did his duty. He was hardworking. He didn't demand anything. Not his inheritance, not the love of his father. Why would he when he could earn it? And there's the point. Just zoom out of the parable for a moment and remember the real people that Jesus has in mind when he tells this story. The religious leaders, they worked hard to keep all of God's commandments. And like the elder son, they were proud of their achievements. Like the elder son, they compared themselves to those who were obviously worse than they were. And sadly, like the elder son, they hated the fact that God could act in such unfair mercy and save such obvious sinners. They hated it. They'd much rather trust in their own self-righteousness. That was much fairer, being rewarded for the things that they had achieved. But friends, salvation, relationship with God, can never be enjoyed on those terms. That's what our reading from Ephesians was about earlier on. That reading said, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In the kingdom of God, things are not what they seem, and the odds are stacked unfairly in our favor. And the challenge for us here is not just to identify with the younger son, but to realize that once we've been saved, there is a very real danger that we can turn into the elder son. And we can be self-righteous. And we can be judgmental of other people and their sin. There's a lot to learn here from these two brothers. But if we think we've finished with the parable there, let's try taking a longer look at dad. Because things are not what they seem there either. So my third heading, the forgiving father who rejoices at repentance. We see his reaction uh, to the sinner from verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Then in verse 22, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring that fattened calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they all began to celebrate. Is this what we would do if we were looking in from the outside and offering advice to dad? Humanly speaking, we'd be warning dad not to be a fool, wouldn't we? Don't be a fool. Surely he was a fool to, to divide his fortune and, and give some of it away before he died. I mean, what about his own retirement plans? That was, that was a foolish thing to do. 
Surely he was a fool to be lingering and waiting in the road, looking for, hoping that his son would return. Surely he was a fool, wasn't he, to to come running, believing this lame little speech that the the younger son had practiced all the way home. And if that wasn't enough, after all the time that he has wasted on his boy already, he's wasting now more money, he's wasting emotion, he's pulling out all the stops, he's throwing this party. Fool. But things are not what they seem. The love of the father is so great The love of the Father is so strong. The love of the Father is so important that nothing can come in the way of this reunion with a truly repentant son. With repentance comes reconciliation. With reconciliation comes reunion. And reunions are emotional and special things, are they not? I don't know if you've ever had an enforced separation from a loved one. I used to be in the RAF and I had my fair share of them during that time. And I tell you something, that first hug, that first kiss, that that reunion after a long period of separation is so special. It is so emotional. Maybe you can identify with that. Well, that is what God longs for. If you don't know him yet... Or if you've turned your back on him and are realizing at the moment the spiritual poverty of your position, then look up. There in the middle of the road stands a father, a foolish father in the world's eyes. And he is straining his eyes towards the horizon. And he is searching for those whose hearts are truly repentant. And his arms are outstretched and they're ready to embrace you. And they're ready to hug you. And they're ready to celebrate your return home. That's the shocking reality, if you like, of of how God responds to the truly obvious sinner. It's wonderful. What about his reaction to his self-righteous son? Well, verse 28 says that he came out and he entreated with him. In other words, he pleaded with him to see things from his point of view. Seems to have been in vain. Verse 31, he says to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother, notice what he's done, he's so concerned about relationship. Brothers called him your son. The father calls him your brother. This, your brother was dead and he is alive. He was lost and is found. See, the father wants everyone, not just himself, to respond to repentance. And he wants them to respond not with comparison, not with jealousy, but with joy, with rejoicing, with celebration, because that is the right thing to do. It is fitting for this party to happen. And he wants us to join in his mission, accepting obvious sinners, associating with them, not by sharing in immoral activity. That's not what he's saying, but by being available for them, by being approachable. Because you know what? Things are not always what they seem. And so Jesus leaves his parable hanging. Back then, the religious leaders had to decide how they were going to respond, and and today we do as well. Will we marvel? Will we rejoice at salvation, both our own and those of the obviously sinful? Or will we grumble about those obvious sinners? And will we hate God's mercy? The forgiving Father, the wonderfully loving, gracious, and forgiving Father is calling us to share in his work. He's calling us to share in his mission. And will we, members of St. Joseph's, imitate our Father 
and rejoice at repentance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story that your son told. Father, help us to know how to respond to it. Father, help us at every opportunity to rejoice at repentance, to rejoice at homecomings. And Father, if there are any here who have not yet come home to you, I pray that as they look up, they would see you waiting with arms outstretched, waiting to forgive them, waiting to embrace them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.